0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who provides convenience, variety, and deliciousness to the -the on-the-go conscientious eater. We're talking with Melissa Canales about growing microgreens. Melissa grows and sells microgreens in the heart of San Diego, California. Her company, Quantum Microgreens, was formed in early 2017, and she specializes in selling living trays of microgreens. Grown outside, year-round, direct to customers at farmers' markets. She does workshops in the community introducing people to the world of microgreens and helps busy people stay healthy with fresh greens. She also sells grow-your-own microgreens kits to share the microgreens love throughout the country. Welcome to the show today, Melissa. Are you ready to rock microgreens?
1: Absolutely.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. I mean, anybody that knew me as a child would have been, I mean, must be shocked right now to know that I'm... (laughs) Farming. I grew up, you know, in Mission Beach in San Diego with no backyard. No, I mean, the only plants I had were seaweed, really. So, nice. there was no, yeah, no growing whatsoever in my childhood. I actually got a gift in college of a plant once. And I think I looked at the person saying, what do I do with this? <laughs> 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 I have no idea. I, I gave it away promptly because I thought, what do I do? I don't even know what to do with this. So it's actually really odd what I'm doing right now. I, was, I went to college, like I referenced, and I actually got my undergraduate degree in astrophysics. Um, really? Berkeley. Wow. Yeah. So not at all relevant (laughs) to what I'm doing today, shifted gears after that and went to law school and became an attorney and started practicing law. So I did that for several years and realized that it just wasn't right for me and I needed to make a shift.
0: What prompted that shift?
1: I ended up having a health condition about 10 years ago. And for anybody I think that has a health condition or is close to somebody with a health condition, it really tends to change your perspective on life. Big time. So for me, yeah, for me, I was diagnosed with an acoustic neuroma, which is actually a small brain tumor. And although it was a benign tumor, it nonetheless required my action. <laughs> and so I had, you know, brain surgery to remove the tumor when I was thirty just turned thirty years old. Wow. Yeah. And that the the recovery was worse than the tumor. Mm-hmm. And it really it really took me it took me a couple of years to kind of get used to the new normal. And reevaluate just how I wanted to spend most of my time <laughs> so- I, can't,
0: I can't tell you how many people I've had in almost five hundred episodes that came to where they're at because of a health crisis, whether it was uh, exactly. you know a cancer or a tumor or uh, you know in my case, and I just interviewed somebody yesterday who had was diagnosed with Lyme, both Heidi and I have Lyme, so it it does it creates a time in your life to reflect and say all right what am i really up to
1: exactly i just and i i was practicing a very specialized kind of law i was doing special education law and right before i started this business i was working for a nonprofit and i really enjoy that area of law, it was, I really felt like I was helping a lot of people. So I wasn't sitting at a you know a corporate desk, spending you know sixty, eighty hours a week on a desk like many lawyers. So I, I was already doing something a little bit, a little bit off in the in the legal world. But nonetheless, type of conflict that I was constantly dealing with in the legal profession was just weighing so heavily on me, and I just wanted something different and. I had become somewhat of a a, a crazy plant lady in the meantime. (laughs) Hold on, (laughs) hold on. Going
0: going from somebody gave you a plant in college saying, oh my gosh, what do I do with it? I got to get rid of this to being a crazy plant lady. That's a stretch. How'd that happen?
1: No, it just did. I mean, I lived in condos and apartment buildings for years after college and I think uh, I think succulents maybe have were my opening drug. I love that. And keeping those yeah, keeping those alive and it just began to grow from there. I ended up being that person that my my now husband, when I first started dating him, he said, "What do you want for Christmas?" and I said, "I want dirt." So <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, you want what? I said, I want dirt. So for Christmas, I got these, you know, I lived in an apartment and I got these large bags of dirt and I was able to make these big planter boxes and I used every little piece of outdoor space around my apartments and I just started growing things. I, I killed a lot of things. I started to understand the dread that a caterpillar can bring to your tomato plants. <laughs> right. And just every everything I was able to eat that I grew was such, it was so amazing. I felt like I was just winning at life if I could grow something that I could eat. But I've also been very obsessed with knowing where my food came from, even though I wasn't a big plant person growing up. I, I was reading books on food politics and trying to understand you know, how food systems were working in at least our country from a pretty young age. So I was always very interested in knowing how my food got to my table. And I I became a vegetarian in high school and I just ate up all the books and the literature that talked about how food was grown and the environmental impact of Farming, essentially. So I was always interested in it. I think my science brain was always turning over and over, you know, where did our food come from? What am I putting into my body? How is this supporting me as a human being? And it was more of a curiosity that wasn't a part of my everyday life, but something I thought about all the time.
0: And you know what? I I tell people all the time that is something everybody should be thinking about all the time. Where does your food come from and how to grow your own? Good job.
1: Yeah, so that's how it all came about, is just getting very frustrated and thinking, well, I could do that. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Put a seed in dirt and, you know, and then you sort of get hooked in and seed catalogs arrive at your house and you, you look at all those beautiful pictures and just imagine what life could be like surrounded by all of that you know, beauty and then being able to eat it yourself. So I, I definitely ended up in that, in those daydreams all the time of what could it be like to do this all the time.
0: All right, great. So you got to that point and then you decided to go do it all the time. What was that jump like?
1: It was scary. It was very scary. It was, it was a whole bunch of Excel spreadsheets
0: um, <laughs> and, nice.
1: you know, and becoming and being very realistic about, well, where do I live? what can i do here what makes sense do i know anything about farming well not really <laughs> what is it that i can do that can make sense and i live in right smack dab in the middle of san diego county in a very urban area called city heights um, so that limited me i i wasn't about to upend my life and find some kind of you know farm that wasn't my journey so i had to figure out what i could do with the resources I had at hand. And that's how I ended up kind of stumbling on the idea of doing microgreens. Why? Why? It was, once I was introduced to what microgreens were, and, you know, really it was just the internet. I'd I'd like to say Pinterest. (laughs) But once I became interested in microgreens and started growing them, I realized that it it was feasible. It was feasible to churn out a large amount of product in a limited amount of space. And to make it even better, I live in San Diego and I didn't need to go and buy a whole bunch of fancy equipment and I didn't need to have a basement and electricity and and everything else that you need to grow microgreens indoors. I didn't need any of that because I had the sun year round.
0: Right. So you're actually not living in a condo anymore and you have a backyard?
1: I do, yes. <laughs> I don't live in a condo. I live in a house and I have a, a relatively large backyard. It, San Diego has a lot of canyons for anybody who hasn't been here and isn't quite familiar with how San Diego is. And I live on one of those canyons. So it's a large backyard with a lot of hills. And so it's not really the kind of backyard you go and play a pickup game of soccer in. It's it's more of a don't stumble because you'll turn your ankle trying to walk around the back. So I wasn't about to try to figure out how to farm typical farming crops on the type of hill that I live in.
0: So you're growing microgreens in your backyard. Yes. So what I want you to do is paint a picture for us. Stand on your back patio and look at your microgreen process and tell us what it looks like.
1: Sure thing i and I did this on a shoestring budget, so anybody can really do this. I have two basically structures that are kind of built out of wood about ten by twelve, and in these little rooms i've connected shade cloth, so the whole thing is shaded in by shade cloth, just your typical shade cloth you can get at your local you know a garden center or home like home depot essentially, and that surrounds the whole area and kind of protects it from bugs and animals and uh, too much wind and too much sun. And in there, I have several metal shelving units, and I grow my microgreens just on the shelf, under the shade cloth, uh, in the great
0: outdoors. Nice. So a buddy of mine here in Phoenix at Arizona Microgreens uses a concept where they use trays, you know, big uh, four foot by eight foot long flood beds. And they grow their microgreens in that and you know, three times a day the, they fill up with water and drain. Have you experimented with that at all?
1: I haven't. And mostly my challenges are that I don't sell microgreens the way that I'd say most microgreens farmers sell their microgreens. So On a whole, I'd say most people grow microgreens, they cut the microgreens, they package the microgreens, and then they send them off to wherever, whosoever the end user is, so whether it's a restaurant or to individual customers. I do it a little differently. I don't usually harvest my microgreens before I sell them direct to customers. I sell them still living in small, individual-sized trays so that people can bring them home, place them on their countertop, and Uh... harvest them As they're ready to eat them. So I have a few more challenges.
0: Yeah. in the
1: way I grow them.
0: You're transporting the microgreens in the trays with the soil and then letting the people take those home.
1: Yeah, so that's what made the most sense to me when I started this, because I read about all the health benefits and just how nutrient-rich microgreens are compared to the full-grown plant. And I thought a lot of people are seeking out microgreens because they're trying to get the optimum health that they can out of them. And some people are even seeking them out as a way to try to treat themselves From some sort of disease or or chronic health issue that they have. And I want to be able to give microgreens to those people so that they can get the ultimate use out of their microgreens. And if I were to cut them all and give them, you know, a a big clamshell of microgreens and they take it home and eat it throughout the week, by the end of the week, they're not getting the same level of nutrition Mm -hmm. and. And, you know, antioxidant activity out of those microgreens because they've been dying essentially for all the time that they've been sitting in the refrigerator cut. And microgreens don't last all that long in the refrigerator. So why are we only selling it this way? Why aren't we selling it still living and allowing people the opportunity to cut it as they go? I mean, it matters for flavor. It matters for freshness. It matters for nutrient content. So that's why I sell it the way I sell it.
0: Beautiful And what most people may not know is that the moment you harvest something, the nutritional value in it starts to degrade. So you're basically delivering to your clients a nutrient-packed garden that they can harvest for a week.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And for some types of crops, notably, I think about cilantro, that's the one that comes to my mind, is that once you cut that, if you don't eat it right away, you've lost... So much of the flavor in that plant. It drives me crazy if I go out and get tacos somewhere and they have cilantro microgreens on it and they have no flavor because that <laughs> crop is so flavorful the microgreen is remarkable and when I get one from a restaurant and it has no flavor I think well that was harvested who knows when and it still looks very pretty but you've missed out on so much of what makes the microgreen special which is that intense flavor
0: wow and you named your business quantum microgreens why
1: it was a nod to the my past that never came to fruition that um, I told you or I mentioned that I got my degree in astrophysics. Yeah. I love physics and I love science and I loved studying astrophysics, but it turned out I wasn't quite the person to become a professional astrophysicist. It wasn't really in my DNA, even though I loved it dearly. So when I was thinking of a name for this company, I thought, well, these are really small plants. This can really highlight my journey that brought me here to this place of farming and being a microgreen farmer is if I name my business Quantum Microgreens, because first, the plants are very small. So that makes sense. Yep. Second, it really is true to who I am and how the, the things that interest me and delight me are still a part of my world, even if I'm not A physicist, or an astrophysicist, or even forgot everything I learned in college surrounding astrophysics. It's just a nod to to who I am, and that this business is as much about me as it is about farming.
0: Nice. And how's it going, running a business in microgreens? You're about two years in.
1: You know, it's that's one of those things that I I am constantly wondering that I've been taking a few classes because, if you can tell, I had no background in farming before I started this. So I took a couple business of farming classes. I'm seeking out as many mentors as I can to just help me figure out what it takes to run a business. Because it's more than just growing plants and selling them at a farmer's market. It is social media and accounting and taxes. And I mean, you name everything that I never learned in school. So I feel like I'm in school right now but doing as I'm as I'm learning, and I'm learning new things every day on how to build and run a business. So it's never a dull moment in, in this in this world oh, yes. of uh,
0: running your own farming. business. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's one of the things that people miss. Often people start businesses. they you know they're good at one thing. Like maybe they're good at being a yoga teacher. So they think that they can start a yoga studio. And what they miss is that yoga, growing microgreens, running a podcast online is only half of the process. The other half of the process is, like you said, accounting, it's marketing, it's all of those things that actually have you be successful. You might be a really great yoga teacher or microgreens person or podcast host But if you can't make it pay for itself, you you got a problem in this culture. So how's that piece working for you?
1: That piece is challenging. I wish I can say that I started from day one and customers flocked to me because they all knew how wonderful microgreens are, because that's simply not true. (laughs) There's a couple different routes that you can take, I think, to be a microgreen grower. And the first route, which is what I think most people take, is to go and sign up and hustle various chefs and restaurants to have wholesale clients and pretty much sell directly to restaurants.
0: That's what I did when I when I was doing uh, yard farming here at the Urban Farm 20 years ago when I first went back to college. That's what I was doing, and I just made friends with a couple of chefs, and it was the simplest way to go.
1: So that way I, that's the way I thought I was going to go when I started this business. I thought, oh, this is the way. And I started kind of approaching and doing the, the, you know, back door to the restaurant and approaching different chefs. And, and I realized quickly that every, the first question I got out of most people's mouths here in San Diego at the time that I did this was, what farmers markets are you at? And I thought, oh, really? No. Yeah. I thought, oh no, I need to be at a farmer's market just to legitimize myself as a farmer here right now. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll start doing a couple farmer's markets and and that's the way I'll go forward. And then I realized for myself personally, I started this business so that I could farm and enjoy what I was doing and make that change from the legal world to farming and feel that kind of fulfillment. And I realized that that backdoor hustle essentially and the, the handling of wholesale customers that sales aspect was not why I got into farming and that if I wanted to make a lot of money I could stay in the legal world and that I didn't well, I'd rather stay in the legal world than spend so much time going after and seeking after wholesale customers in the restaurant world. So not to say that I didn't have any clients, because I definitely did meet people and did have, and do have, you know, clients that are restaurants. So I'm not, I'm not criticizing all restaurants, but the, the hustle of constantly going and seeking sales and pushing my product, um, like peddling essentially, I was finding very little, I, I was finding that my efforts were not equating to how I wanted to live and how I wanted to grow. So I realized quickly that I was going to change my efforts and start growing directly for, you know, sort of the you and me regular customers out there that shop at farmer's markets. Because they weren't the ones, they were the ones that needed to learn how to use microgreens and benefit from all the health benefits that you can get out of microgreens. And you're not going to get that necessarily at a restaurant. That's something that you have to, if you're interested as somebody that wants to add this kind of nutrients, into your lifestyle, you need to be buying directly from a microgreen farmer because you're not going to find it anywhere else.
0: Or grow your own.
1: Or grow, or exactly, or grow your own. So that's when I said, you know what, we're just going to shift this because this isn't This isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be a salesperson like this at the back door of restaurants. And in San Diego, it's not very common to buy living microgreens, especially with restaurants. I was finding that many restaurants were just going, we can't do that. We need you to cut them and put them in clamshells. And although I will do that, that is not my preferred way of selling microgreens. So that's just not my specialization. So I found it was a bit of an uphill battle trying to show people how, why there's a benefit on having the living tray, even in a restaurant, right. it was almost too much. Not to say I won't do it in the future, but it was too much at the time. And so I really shifted my focus to selling to individual people at farmer's markets and pursuing then a, micro, a grow your own microgreens kit for all the people that are DIYers and curious and all the people I met at farmer's markets from out of town that said they couldn't find this in their own towns.
0: Wow. And really what this is turning into for you, it sounds like, is an education space. You're spending a yes. lot of time teaching people the value of eating microgreens, but are you also teaching people how to grow their own?
1: I am. Absolutely. I, you know after, Right after college, before I went to law school, I got a job at a science museum called the Lawrence Hall of Science in Berkeley, California. And I, my job was going to schools three times a week and doing science assemblies.
0: Oh nice. So I
1: used to, yeah, so I used to be that person that that came and, you know, blew things up and riled up all the kids and got them very excited for science and then I left and let the teachers take care of them. But I did that for a couple of years, so I had quite a bit of experience doing science related workshops and that's how I really think of growing microgreens This is very science related. It requires a curiosity about the living world and attention to make sure that they're growing properly. So I loved the idea of doing workshops and classes, which I, I started recently this year, doing several classes and, and workshops, mostly for adults and just introducing people to what are microgreens, why microgreens and how to grow them. Even though I sell them growing, I'm not concerned that all of a sudden everybody in the world is going to start growing their own and i'm not, i'm going to go out of business i'm not really worried about that right. if any yeah if anything i encourage people to learn to grow them and grow some on their own cuz they're going to still come and buy for me mm-hmm. even though they're growing them it's it you know you, you're not you're busy you're not going to spend every day all the time growing microgreens and you're still going to want some so i i really do encourage and try to help people troubleshoot that are trying to grow microgreens. Right. Because I get a lot of people that say, yeah, I started, I tried to grow cilantro. And I said, well, that's a really advanced microgreen. You might want to try radish first. (laughs) Exactly. You know, microgreen growers that have been doing this for years still struggle with cilantro. So, you know, and basil, just try to stick with some of the easier ones, which is what I did with the kit is making it a very easy, more foolproof way grow your microgreens. So you, you can learn the process. And if you're the type of person that wants to scale up and start growing them on your own all the time, now you have the skill set to do that. And if you don't, and you just wanted to enjoy growing them once or twice to, to understand how it works, then we've got you covered.
0: Nice. You have a microgreens kit. By the way, you've graciously donated five kits that we're going to send out to five of our listeners. Uh, So listen through to the end of the podcast. Tell us about the microgreens kits and where people can get them.
1: Sure. I had so many people coming up to me at farmer's markets telling me they were visiting from wherever, Michigan, Wisconsin, wherever you can name, usually in this country, but sometimes in other countries, and telling me, oh, I want to buy everything, but I'm leaving on an airplane tomorrow. I wish I had this in my city. And so finally, after hearing that for the first year or so, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to make this kit. And tell people, you know, you can. And and here you go. You can grow it at your home in Iowa in the middle of winter. Uh, Yes, you can. (laughs) Like It's okay. And you don't need to have any fancy equipment. So I developed a kit and you grow, it has two crops in it for people to grow two of the individual size trays, the exact ones I sell at the farmer's market each week. So these are things that I have grown over and over and over again in the last couple of years that I've been doing this business. So I'm pretty familiar with how they work, and it contains the kit contains two sets of soil. I'm a soil-based grower, so my kit is soil-based, and two different sets of seeds. It's got a mister and directions, and a little tray to sell them to grow them in. So it's pretty easy. A, a child could do it with supervision. The hardest thing about microgreens is paying attention. That's that's the most difficult one, remembering and paying attention. And the second hardest thing is understanding how many how many seeds. To soil for the container that you're doing. So what I did in the kit is everything is pre-measured. So you're ready to every you have everything you need to grow these microgreens without those questions up in the air of how much seed do I use and how much soil do I use. And it also has all the directions to really step you through the process. So you're sure to end up with a full and beautiful tray of microgreens at the end of the day. Because it is a small tray that you're growing, the lighting that you need is less complicated. Just a window at your house will be fine. And if for some reason you're trying to grow in, say, Alaska in the middle of the winter, a desk light or another type of light that you already own in your house will be plenty to be able to grow the small tray with the varieties offered in the kit.
0: Wow. Uh, So what I just heard you say that this is super, super simple.
1: It is. And microgreens on a whole tend to be super simple unless you try to do something like cilantro right away. But if you're picking the right varieties of microgreens, it's very simple. It's just a the hardest part is attention and feeling confident in what you're doing and not questioning every move that you do. So, and with everything pre-measured in the kit and ready to go, you're you're sure to have success as long as you give it the 5 minutes of attention each day and within a week and 10 days you're you're eating what you grew. This isn't like a plant where you have to plant it and wait 3 months. You're eating what you grow in about a week. So it's it's great for people with attention difficulties.
0: I'm in that category. <laughs> what kind of workshops do you offer and who do you offer them to?
1: The workshops are so fun. So far, we've I've only done workshops with adults thus far. So we're expanding to do children's groups coming soon. But what I do is I bring several varieties of microgreens that I'm growing. And we start out doing a fun game. And I have everybody in the group go and taste all the different microgreens and try to guess what they are. Many people haven't been exposed to microgreens very much or haven't been exposed to the different flavors. And people are very surprised at just how intense and strong the flavors are. And it gives people the opportunity to really dabble and think about what they would do with those flavors and try to figure out out of context the flavors that they're tasting. So that's the primary thing that we do in the m- workshops is really get people tasting and thinking and getting their hands into the dirt, essentially, to cut their own microgreens and try to figure out what it is they're tasting. And after that, we talk about what microgreens are, how you use them. And for most classes, we'll go through after and, and do everybody will get to plant their own small. Tray of microgreens and take it home with them and be able to experience the growing of the microgreens for you know the rest of the week. I've done workshops in office buildings where people then can sit in their you know cubicle or at their desk in their office and watch the microgreens grow for the rest of the week and get to eat them. I've, nice. I've heard it's become quite topic of conversation. Of people comparing their growth on their microgreens to the next person to say, you know, who's doing a better job of growing their microgreens. But it ends up being a really great and fun experience that allows people to learn about something new, to learn about, you know, or give people the confidence to know that they can still grow their own food, even if they're sitting, you know, say at a desk. 40, 50, 60 hours a week and be able to nibble on their own food that they're growing in their office building or in their home out a window and go from there. So the workshops are really aimed at introducing microgreens to people, giving them a chance to experience them and taste them and learn to grow them themselves. And it only takes about an an hour to, to have these discussions. And I often, myself or my husband, do the workshop. They're available for, right now, usually adults. We don't have we haven't finished our curriculum for children's groups, but if anybody is interested in doing this type of workshop, you know, they just really send us an email and work out the details. It's very casual at this point. I don't have a, I don't have like a set of rules or a form that anybody fills out. It's, it, it really just depends on the organization and the time that they have and what they're looking for from it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And what's your email address in case anybody wants to reach out to you?
1: It's very easy. It's farmer at quantummicrogreens.com
0: perfect. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it.
1: It's a hard question because I feel like failure is just a part of my life. <laughs> you know, right? if I haven't failed. If I haven't failed, then I haven't tried anything new lately. So thinking about that question it's hard to just say I've had one failure and this is a this is a big one. I think failure, you don't learn without failing. So I am constantly failing when I try to in terms of microgreens and growing things. I have killed probably more types of crops than I care to admit.
0: Uh-huh. That's <laughs> so, how we learn. I
1: mean, yeah, just right now I'm trialing uh I haven't done microgreens dill before and and so far I am I'm failing spectacularly at microgreening dill, though I have I have complete faith in myself that I will figure it out. But one of the biggest failures I have, at least in this business so far, is setting up irrigation for the way I sell my microgreens has been such a challenge and has I have spent a lot of money trying to figure out the best way to irrigate microgreens for the way that I sell them. I know there are many great ways out there to irrigate microgreens that haven't worked for my personal situation and how I grow them still living and, and to individual people. So that is a failure that I am still grappling with right now. But every time I try something and it doesn't work, I just, I have to sit down and think about it and try something new. So, you know, hopefully the next time we talk, I'll have figured that one
0: out. Nice. And your biggest success?
1: My biggest success—I can't say any one big success stands out in my mind—but I did do a very big happy dance the first time I sold a kit to a stranger. <laughs> that
0: sounds funny. <laughs> nice, not at all funny. That is an epic moment.
1: <laughs> I, it was. I think I, I danced around for a, a good while, very excited that you know my somebody recognized just how like how much work I put into creating this kit. <laughs>
0: Nice. And what drives you?
1: Oh, that's an easy one. Just curiosity. I mean, I'm I'm so curious about the way the world works, and there's nothing more surprising and amazing as seeing a seed become a plant and become something that we can eat. So whether it's physics or astrophysics or just what food do we eat, it's it's always going to be curiosity.
0: And that's the that's the science. I'm going to use this term affectionately nerd coming out in you. I'm and I'm in that same category. I love science and I love experimenting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I am definitely I could wear a badge that says nerd. I I own that <laughs> one.
0: <laughs> and if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Sure. I'm an avid reader. I love reading and especially audiobooks. I listen to those all the time while I'm working and growing microgreens and the book that I am geeking out on right now is it's a nonfiction book and it's called Eleanor Oliphant Is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And I highly recommend this novel. I read it and then I went and listened to the audiobook. I loved it so much I had to I had to just drink in all of it. <laughs> so it's an excellent novel. What's it about? The it's an unlikely heroine in this novel who is uh, has had her share of life's difficulties and is a little socially, a lot socially awkward, doesn't quite understand how to survive in the social world. And it's a book about loneliness and joy. And the character is just so funny how she looks at the world. I think we all have a little bit of Eleanor within us and watching her or listening to her and understanding her. She just seems like somebody, if you met her on the street, you would absolutely think she was the most she was horrible, actually. You'd probably think she was horrible, but when you read the book, you can really see her on the inside and it gives you pause to notice that if there's somebody out there that you interact with that just seems off, you really don't know what's happening on the inside. It's a really excellent novel for enjoyment factor, but also makes you think quite a bit about, you know, the things about her that are within you and recognizing in other people and just being a little bit more kinder to the person next to you because you don't know what they've been through. (laughs) So, um, but it's highly enjoyable.
0: So true to that. So the name of the book again?
1: It's called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman.
0: Perfect. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: My piece of advice to, to anybody that wants to listen to me, I think, is to just be kind to yourself. I had a lot of internal monologues when I was recovering from my my health issue a couple of years ago, and I like to criticize myself pretty hard for for not recovering for faster, for you know, not growing the best microgreens, for for not doing everything as best as my expectations want them to be. And I always have to tell myself, slow down and just to be nice to myself, (laughs) stop that inner voice that kind of criticizes that isn't good enough. So I always think that's a good piece of advice to remind people to just be nice to yourself. I guess that's my advice.
0: Big, big, big time. Our monkey, I I like to call that our monkey mind loves to trash us. And I I actually Mm -hmm. had a conversation with that monkey mind in 2004. I remember this moment because it was telling me that I couldn't do things. And I literally, I turned around, I looked to my right over my right shoulder, and I said, shut up. Whatever I'm up to is much more important than whatever you have to say. And it didn't quiet it down completely, but it muted it a lot. And that one pivotal moment really changed my life forever. When you stop listening to the critic in your head. So good for you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I hear my friends talking about themselves and I say, Hey, wait a minute. Stop that. You know, be nice to yourself. I would never say that to you. You shouldn't say that to you. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, nobody would even think about saying the types of things that you say to yourself, you know? <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Melissa.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: So how can we find you?
1: You can find me online uh, on my website, quantummicrogreens.com. I'm on Instagram if you want to see my you know, day-to-day happenings on the farm, and that's uh, quantum underscore microgreens. Um, those are the best ways to follow what I'm doing. You can email me at farmer at quantummicrogreens.com.
0: And if somebody wants a microgreens kit, they can go to your website?
1: They can go to my website. It will link you to an Etsy store. If you're in San Diego, we sell the kits at our farmer's market at Saturday at Little Italy Farmer's Market. So other than that, though, it's our Etsy site is our number one way of selling kits to those not in San Diego.
0: Awesome. We also want to thank Melissa as we have five grow your own microgreen kits that need a new home. And we get to share them with our listening audience. Email podcast at urbanfarm.org with a subject line, I want to grow healthy greens. Make sure you provide us with your name and mailing address. We'll pick five random emails from the first 50 people who respond in the next 45 days. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash quantum microgreens. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm
1: Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org